My name is Christian, and I want to start by thanking every one of you for choosing to be here this morning. I'm glad that you're here because together, as a church, we are practicing the art of seeing Jesus. Uh, this Sunday, all the way through the Sunday after Easter, each week we'll be guided by one artist who had a special skill for capturing the truth on canvas. We'll be guided so that together we can see Jesus clearly. Last week was our first week, and we looked at the moment in which Jesus was betrayed by Judas in the garden. This morning, we are going to take up the action that comes immediately after that event. And what I want to ask you all to do now is to use your imagination so that you can see the scene more clearly. I want you to picture yourself for a moment at the Last Supper with Jesus and his followers. Imagine that you were there in the moment that Jesus announced to everyone present that one of you was going to betray him. The meal, obviously, was awkward after that. But you left together with everyone else and made your way with Jesus and the others out of the city of Jerusalem. And then up the Mount of Olives, you began to go in the night. Picture yourself there walking along in the dark, between the trees, and it's silent. You and everyone else is wondering, how could anyone deny Jesus? How could anyone of us take part in treachery like that? You arrive together with him at the place where he's led you to pray. When the silence is finally broken as Jesus says something that you did not expect to hear. This very night, all of you will become deserters. In your mind, it had been that there was going to be one who would betray him, but now he's telling you with everyone else there that every single one of you is going to desert him. I imagine the awkward silence lasted a bit until one of you speaks up, and it's Peter, the disciple whose name in Greek means rock, the strong one. Peter, looking at Jesus, says, even if everyone else turns their backs on you, I never will. Not Peter. Now you all look to see how Jesus will respond. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, this very night... Before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me three times. Now, Peter, in his mind, he's saying, no, it could never be me. Uh, maybe someone else could be capable of that kind of treachery, but me? Never. Maybe another person has that kind of darkness in him, but not me. And so Peter looks back at Jesus and says, even if I had to die, I would never turn my back on you. And he said it because he's absolutely sure that his faith was strong enough not to do that, that even if other people had that kind of shadow inside, not him. And what you'll see with me this morning is that already Peter had made the mistake which would result in just a few hours' time in his doing exactly what Jesus had said he would do. 
Uh, Peter had promised to be faithful forever, and he didn't even last one night. And the reason is that Peter made two mistakes. And you're going to see these with me as we look at this story and as we're guided by the painting that we'll consider so that you and I can grow. Peter's mistakes were first, he put his faith in himself, in his own faithfulness. And then secondly, he believed that other people might have darkness in them, but not him. And he was wrong because no matter how good you are, every single one of us is a mixture of light and darkness. The very best follower of Jesus, the one who shines brilliantly in her faith or his faithfulness, even that person carries within the shadows that make him capable of this kind of duplicity and, and what Jesus wants, and this is the most important part of what we'll see together, is what Jesus wants is disciples who will choose to trust him and not themselves. Look at this painting. This is entitled The Denial of St. Peter. It was painted by the Dutch artist Gerrit van Handhorst in 1616. He had traveled from Utrecht to Rome with three friends. You heard the way I said Utrecht. Only guys with bow ties say it like that. <laughs> he had traveled from Utrecht to Rome with his three friends who were also artists. They'd fallen under the spell of the Italian master Caravaggio. It was his way of playing with light and darkness on a single canvas that had captured their attention. Earlier in the Renaissance era, there were other artists who employed this technique, but Caravaggio, at the end of the 16th century, had brought it to a whole new level. It is called in Italian, chiaroscuro. That is the Italian word light and dark put together to make one word. Chiaroscuro is the technique of bringing together on one canvas light right beside darkness to do something that cannot be done in any other way. And you don't have to understand the details of it to grasp the power of it. All you need to do is look at the painting. It has such emotional force because chiaroscuro enables the artist to craft something which is simply beautiful and easy to look at, like a fire on, on a fall night, you want to look at it. You want to be near it. It's just magnificently beautiful. You see it, don't you? And not only that, but the technique also creates a true dynamic opportunity. When your eyes see the painting, they go first to the brightest place on the canvas, and then without even meaning to, they begin to travel from the brightest down to the next brightest and so on. In this case, they're drawn immediately to the face of that young girl who so clearly wants to see the truth. And from there, they travel along her arm into the folds of the robe which she grasps. The artist uses this technique to control your attention. And it lets the artist tell a story. There's another virtue of this technique which to me is the most important. Chiaroscuro, this form, is especially fitting for depicting human stories for this reason. The close proximity of dark and light on the canvas mirrors the universal feature of human nature, which is that in every one of us, there is, right beside the light in us, some darkness. 
And you may be thinking now of a person who is especially brilliant, someone who seems always to have it right. I will tell you now that as this painting captures light and dark together, in that person there is some dark. And you may be thinking of someone else who's all dark. But I'll tell you right now that in that person there is some light as well. The truth that is so brilliantly captured in this form about every person is that our hearts are chiaroscuro. They are light and dark. Now the form so brilliantly matches the scene that is captured. Look for a moment at the light source. As you try to see it, you'll immediately recognize that you cannot because it's hidden. The candle is behind the arm, and that's on purpose. The artist here has put before us on canvas a picture in which a man is obscuring the truth. And light represents the truth because by light we see everything that can be seen. And here is a woman and a group that wants to see the truth and a man who wants to hide it. And so the artist keeps the candle behind the arm. In this scene, the way Matthew tells it, there are for us three very, very important lessons that will help us, those of us who want to know what it means to follow Jesus, either because we are following him or because we're considering following him. And I want to take you now through the way Matthew tells this scene so that we can see what Matthew wants us to see and what the artist shows so powerfully. Here, I'm going to want you to use your imagination again. After the garden, after Jesus had told Peter that his promise wouldn't last the night, Peter and everyone else witnesses Jesus being arrested by the Roman soldiers. If you read carefully in the Gospel of Matthew, which I commend, you ought to do that at some point. You will see that that story ends with the line, and all of the disciples fled. Jesus is being arrested, and every single one of his followers runs away. They, the, the soldiers begin to take Jesus toward the house of the high priest. His name is Caiaphas. He's the highest religious official in the land. That's where Jesus is going while the disciples are fleeing when one of them stops running and then turns and begins to follow Jesus and the soldiers at a distance. It's Peter. Uh, maybe he remembered the promise he had just made only moments earlier and he stops running and he decides to follow. He, he keeps his distance but goes with this crowd as they bring Jesus to the, to the house of the high priest Caiaphas. Jesus goes inside with the soldiers while Peter waits outside in the courtyard. And as Peter stands there in the dark, Jesus is inside standing trial before the high priest. At the same time, Peter unexpectedly finds himself on trial. Not before the high priest, but before ordinary strangers. That's what this scene captures. There were lots of people who had gathered outside of that home because people knew about Jesus. They knew that as he grew in popularity, there was a conflict that it was growing between him and the religious authorities. Now that he'd been arrested, people wanted to see what was going to happen to him and to his followers. And there in the night, Peter alone is the disciple who is a follower of Jesus. And at that moment, nobody else knows that except Peter. And this is where I want to pick up the action as it's told in the Gospel of Matthew. As he stands there in his anonymity, he notices a servant girl 
who turns her attention toward him, her eyes narrow as if she recognizes him. And then imagining that he seems familiar, the girl says to him, you also were with Judas, uh, Jesus, the Galilean. And Peter's response in verse 70 is here, but he denied it before them saying, I do not know what you are talking about. She recognizes him, she points it out, and he pretends that he doesn't know what she is saying. There's a little darkness in all of us. And Peter's darkness is beginning to come out in this moment of being tested. And the way it comes out at first is in a way that's somewhat clever. He doesn't outright deny it. He pretends he hasn't quite heard. You've done this, haven't you? You're in the, ki- you're in the living room relaxing and it comes from the kitchen. Did you finish the ice cream and put the empty container back in the freezer and you say, huh, huh, what, I I don't know. So you haven't haven't lied, you've just made a grunting sound. Uh And we do that, and we do that just a little bit. And that's what Peter does here because he knows better than just outright lying. He just pretends. Now, some other people, they turn to see because they heard what she said. And now they're looking at Peter as well. And Jesus had been popular enough to get lots of attention. And another person looks and thinks, no, wait, I I think I recognize him as well. And this person is, is another servant girl, and she turns to the crowd that now has gathered, and she says not to Peter but to the crowd, hey, wait, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. I saw him too, she says. Now Peter, in verse 72, again, he denied it with an oath. I... Do not know the man. And now the second test of whether Peter will let the darkness which is in him win out over the light which is in him. And this time, instead of just pretending he doesn't know, this time he denies it with an oath. And that's a little bit more, isn't it? And not only does he deny it with an oath, he outright lies. I do not know the man. And that's not true. But now that Peter has pretended not to know, which is the first step, This second step is a lot easier. And we're seeing something here for us about how it works with those who want to follow Jesus and will be tempted to believe that there's no darkness in them and who will be tempted to believe that they could never do something like that, especially when they look at the people around them, and who will be tempted, as Peter was, to believe that what it comes down to is whether you personally have enough faith or not, just like Peter believed. I don't know what you're talking about, I don't know him. I swear it. He says an oath. And now look, after this second test, there's a third. Now another bystander looks and listens, and this one says, no, wait a minute. Certainly, you also are one of them. Your accent betrays you in verse 74. Then he began to curse, and he swore an oath, I do not know the man. What started as pretending now has grown to cursing and swearing an oath and outright lying. I do not know Jesus at all. And here we see the progression of Peter's movement from the bright light into the darkness. And in this moment, he hears the rooster crow. And then, then he weeps bitterly. Then his heart is broken. Then all at once, the moments earlier come back into his mind when he promised to last until he died. And now it's a few hours later and he's already done exactly what Jesus would say. And this man's heart is crushed. And here in this moment, I want to pause and I want you to see with me what we can see 
for us about what we learn when we look at this story of one of the very best followers of Jesus and his movement from light to dark. There's a lesson for us, for all of us, which we must see here first. What Peter shows us in this moment is how it actually comes about that any one of us finds ourselves in a place where we shouldn't be in the dark. And what the scene shows us is that the movement from the light into the dark is progressive and it happens one step at a time. That's how it always works. It never starts out that you jump all the way to the dark. It always begins with a tiny little step. Let me be specific. Uh, maybe you're a person who values the integrity that is in your way of talking about people. You, you try not to talk about people when they're not there. You have lunch one day, and there, there's that one friend who's absent, and one little story is shared, and you giggle a little. You say one or two things, but not too much because you know that's wrong. But then the next time you have lunch and they're not there, it's an awful lot easier to talk about them, and it feels pretty good. And so you do it more than you would have. And the next thing you know, you are tearing that person apart, even though they're not there. Because the way it works with the darkness is that it's progressive. It doesn't happen all at once, but by degrees. Do you see it? And it happens in little things like that. It happens in much bigger things too. Last Friday, you had more to drink than the Friday before, but not as much as you will the next Friday. And the week after that, and so it goes until you're drinking way more often and way more than you should. You're hiding it from other people, but you know, and pretty soon you are swallowed up in the addiction of alcoholism and it has mastered you and there's nothing that you personally can do to get yourself out of that kind of darkness. That's how it works. The first time, the bet was for fun, but now you put some money down and the next time, you have to keep going because you're in so deep. This is always how it works. It begins with a glance, and then with a smile, and then with a brief conversation, and then before long, the two of you are spending time together, and you know that you shouldn't. And you never would have done that, but here you are moving from one degree of darkness to the next. It's just a tiny little twist of the numbers so that the prophet looks better than it really was. But the next time, and the next time you have to do more and more until you are embroiled in a great, humongous business scandal. And it never starts like that, but that's where it ends. And that's the first lesson for those of us who would like to follow after Jesus. And it is that the darkness meets us one step at a time. Here now, there's a second lesson. And this one is not so clear in the painting, but it is very obvious in the way that Matthew unfolds the details. And the second lesson, I'll tell you up front, is this. Listen, the further you move into the darkness, the further you find yourself away from Jesus. And that matters. I'm going to tell you why. It matters because you were made to be close to Jesus. And those of you who know it and believe in Jesus, you agree with me wholeheartedly when I say that. You know the days where you were close to him and the ones where you were far. Those of you who are not of faith yet, you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, there is a part of you that knows it's true, deep down inside, that you were made to be connected with the divine. And when you're close to Jesus, you are, you are in the place that you were meant to be. And the thing about denial, which progresses from something small to something great, is that it always puts more distance between you and Jesus. And that is awful for you. Listen to the way it happens in Matthew. When Peter first starts going after Jesus, in verse 58, it says, Peter was following at 
a distance. Then when the group arrives at Caiaphas' house, this is verse 69, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. That's a bit further than he was. Then in verse 71, after Peter denies knowing Jesus the first time, he went out to the porch. And then at last, after he's denied Jesus three times, verse 75, he went out and wept bitterly. What starts as, as a little bit of distance ends with Peter going out into the darkness of the night weeping all alone. And what happens to any man or woman whose heart is far from Jesus is that that person will find themselves weeping alone in the dark and you are miserable when you find yourself there because it's not where you're meant to be. And that's the second thing that we see from this story. Now, even as I describe it, I imagine that there are some of you who listen and you're thinking, if only that man knew how far I feel away from Jesus right now. And you think, then I bet, he would, I bet he would be broken. And if you've ever been around here, you know it doesn't take much to make me cry, but you're thinking he'd be crying. <laughs> it does nothing to me compared to what it does to Jesus to have you far away from him because he loves you so much. Because while Jesus was standing face to face with the arrogance of Peter, who said, you're wrong, I'd never deny you. And Jesus knew that he would. Jesus was filled with love for him. And it's just the same with every single one of us, no matter how far away we've, we've found ourselves from Jesus because we've always turned away again and again. He loves you more than you could possibly know. And here's the third lesson which comes when we look at Peter and what happened with him. The lesson is, uh, very simply, that what happens when you put your faith in yourself instead of putting your faith in Jesus is that you will always end up where Peter is. Which means if you think, well, I'd like to believe in Jesus, but I don't have enough faith yet. I must put my faith in my own faith. I have to learn some more and believe some more and think right some more than I did before. And once I have enough faith, then I can be with him. You will constantly be getting further and further away from him. And on the other hand, if you are a follower of his who looks at yourself and thinks, I'm closer to Jesus than other people because I have more faith, you are farther than you know. Because your faith isn't the thing. And that's what this story shows us. Peter had as much faith or maybe more than any other follower of Jesus. And when he hoped in himself, when he said to Jesus, you're wrong, I'll never deny you, he was already taking steps away from Jesus. And that's the third lesson here. What Jesus wants is not disciples who have more faith than other disciples in themselves, but rather who have more hope in him, who trust him more than other people do. And if you think about it for a moment, the first time that Peter denied Jesus, well, it was before Judas even did. It was when, P when Peter was standing face to face with Jesus and Jesus told him, this very night you will all desert me. And Jesus was telling the truth and the moment Peter said, not me, he had already denied Jesus right to his face. And the root of his denial was that somewhere along the line he had learned that what it all comes down to is how trustworthy are you as a follower of Jesus? And I want you to understand this morning that that does matter. It doesn't matter at all compared to how trustworthy Jesus is. And the moment you begin to believe that what it comes down to is your own faith, you're lost in the dark. And that's, that's not something to be afraid of. It's something to take joy in. Are you tired of how weak your faith is? Welcome to the party. And I say party because that's the place where you're ready for joy. The joy of saying, thank God, it doesn't depend on my own faith, 
Because, listen now, when it depends on your faith, you're always going to go into the dark. When it depends on your faith, you're always going to cover up the candle. You're always going to hide the truth because that's the way we are. Even as we have light in us, we always tend toward that. That's what we see when we look at Peter. Now, thankfully, we don't only look at Peter. We're going to look at Jesus too. This is the art of seeing Jesus. And we see Jesus when we look at Peter, but we really see him when we look at Jesus. Van Honthorst, who made this painting, the painting of the trial that Peter faced in the courtyard, he knew that at the exact same moment as Peter was facing this trial in the courtyard, Jesus was facing his own trial in the courtroom in Caiaphas' house. And we know for sure that Honthorst knew about both because three years before he painted this scene, he also painted the scene in which Jesus was on trial inside. It was the year 1617, one year after he went with his friends to Rome. He began to pour himself into the technique of chiaroscuro and the first painting which he did, his first ma masterpiece really that he did in Rome was the moment that Jesus was on trial, which was happening at the exact same instance as this one. I want to show you that painting, and I want you to see it. Remember now, this is happening at exactly the same instant as Peter is lying in the courtyard about knowing Jesus. I want you to focus your attention for a moment on the place where the candle would be, where the light would be if only this man were telling the truth. Keep your attention fixed there and watch. This is a painting of a man who always tells the truth. No matter how hard you try, you cannot avoid seeing the candle on this canvas, and that's on purpose. While Peter is covering the truth, in the courtyard, Jesus is uncovering the truth in the courtroom. And Peter is covering the truth because he's afraid of what will happen to him if he lets the truth be seen. And Jesus is uncovering the truth, even though he knows what will happen to him, because he refuses to be untrustworthy. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the one through whom life came into being. And in the words of the Apostle John, the life that came into being through Jesus was the light of the world. The light which was the light of all people. In every other person, there is a mixture of dark beside the light, but not in Jesus. In Jesus, it is only light. And look at these words from John's first letter. This is the message that we have heard from Jesus and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. What Jesus wants, what Jesus came for, Jesus wants to rescue men and women who are willing to finally stop putting their faith in their own faithfulness. Jesus wants to come and rescue every man or woman who on their own strength will always flee into the shadows to their own detriment. He wants to come and rescue them so that instead of hoping in themselves, they're free to put their hope in him. 
the one and only one who is completely trustworthy, who will never, ever obscure the truth, but always lets the light shine. Jesus wants disciples who put their hope in him and not in the strength of their own faith. Here is the invitation that we receive when we see Jesus like this. And here, this is not just a talk about a painting a long time ago, even though these paintings are magnificent. And it's not just a discussion of some words that were written a long time ago. This is the truth. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came with this mission to walk into the darkness as the light himself, knowing that even though the dark would become great, that it would never overcome the light. And he knew exactly what would happen to him, even as he stood trial before the high priest. He knew exactly where it would lead as he refused to defend himself. And he did it for one reason, so that he could bring the men and women who would finally choose to give up on themselves and hope in him into the light as he himself is in the light. And that is the invitation for every one of us this morning. To look upon ourselves and admit that in me, even as I strive to be more light than dark, there are still shadows. And thank God I do not need to rely on myself, but I'm free to walk with Jesus and with him in the light. And this is the invitation for every man and every woman and every child in this place to put your trust in Jesus and together with those of us who are willing to say, I have nothing in my own self that is trustworthy. I rely wholly on Jesus together to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. And then, and then here's the other thing, and then for those of us who hear that and think, no, I'm, I'm too far gone, I'm too deep in the shadows, I'm in such deep darkness you don't know, you'd never say that Jesus would rescue me, I'm lost. To you I say this, listen, the story doesn't end here with Peter. It is bitter. The misery that he faces as he denies Jesus in this moment only gets worse as, as the events continue to unfold. We'll see this next week. Peter had to watch as his master Jesus was beat in publicly in front of a large crowd of people laughing at him and spitting on him. He had to see that. He had to watch as his master Jesus was forced to carry a cross in front of the crowds that jeered and stared. And Peter the whole time had to think, maybe if I had admitted last night that I knew him, none of this would have happened. Surely that thought was in his mind as he watched his master die on the cross. That if only I had said something, maybe it would have been different. And maybe that's true, but he didn't say anything, and Jesus died. And if you yourself carry into this room this morning some bitter denial, and you wonder, is his love for me even still? Would it give up on me, as we sang earlier? In that moment, as Peter watched, he did not know what was going to happen, which was that after Jesus died, on the third day he would come back from the dead, he would rise and reinstate Peter so that Peter would be the head of the first church that met in Jerusalem. And listen to this. On the steps outside of that gathering, on the first morning of Pentecost, this is after Jesus had died and rose, there is a message that is delivered by one of the apostles, a message which has for its theme the grace and forgiveness of God. That message was preached in such a way that 3,000 men and women were cut to the heart and came to believe in Jesus in that moment. And it was delivered on the steps, which, as I understand it, are only a few hundred yards from the garden where Jesus was betrayed. And the man who gave that message was Peter. And if, if God can restore Peter like that, well, he can restore anyone. And so don't you walk one more step 
under the burden of believing that what it comes down to is that you have to chase away the shadows yourself. You can't. And now, give in to Jesus' invitation that you should trust in him and accept his faithfulness for you. And then rejoice and walk in the light. Let's pray. God, for the magnificence of this scene of redemption that we see when we look at Peter, we give you thanks. Any one of us who is true to ourselves will have to admit that in Peter's denial, we see shades of our own way of being in the world, that we proclaim our confidence and faith in you at one moment, and then the next we're turning away. God, I pray that from this time together looking at Peter, we will have learned what it looks like to deny you by degrees, and that we would also understand that the roots of our distance between you and us is our own choices to go into the shadows. But then, God, I pray especially that you would rescue every one of us from the wrong idea that what it comes down to is that we should have enough faith in ourselves and instead help us see that your faithfulness for us is enough, that your mercy and your grace is enough that your forgiveness is exactly what we need and what we're given because of what you did in Jesus. God, with Peter, would you please let each one of us know the power of your restoration? Would you save us again? God, if there is one heart in here this morning that is on the edge of faith, would you please, with the power of your spirit, push that heart over into the place where it would say, I need you and your faithfulness for me. I surrender. And then, God, for everyone who knows of the shadows that are in themselves. Would you please help us take our hands off of our own shadows and instead let you take them? And then would you bring us into the light with you so that we can be in the light as you are? We ask for this, O light of the world. Rescue us, we pray, by your grace, in the name of Jesus. Amen.